Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. You're listening to the Design Build Hunt podcast presented by Whitetail Partners. Here we cover all things whitetail property design, habitat improvement, and hunting strategy. Let's change your property for good. Welcome back to the Design Build Hunt podcast. And on the line with me, I've got Mr. Jake Hendrickson from Whitetail Partners, Michigan. How's it going, Jake? Going pretty good. How are you, Josh? Doing well, doing well. I'm going to introduce myself because someone pointed out to me the other week, hey, you introduce everybody but yourself. So this week, I'm going to be very careful to introduce myself. I'm Josh Raley, Whitetail Partners, Georgia. Uh, Jake, we've got a fun one tonight. These are becoming uh, not only a, a listener favorite, but I think a favorite for us, too, where we can kind of share what we've been doing. We've got another property breakdown here. Yeah. So, yeah, we have uh, we kind of share these behind the scenes. Like we, uh, we have folders that we can kind of share designs with uh, each other. But we don't know. We talk about them. We don't know. We spend time like this to go over, you know, the why behind what we're doing. Right. And so these are really fun just for us to kind of pick each other's brain, you know, why did you do this? Or I really like what you did there. And so, yeah, I, I really enjoy these property reviews and, and, I, and I know the, the uh, viewers do or listeners do as well. Right. Absolutely. So if you're just listening to this, let me encourage you uh, either finish listening to it, you know, on your way to work and then go watch the YouTube video. Or if you're listening at home, pause it right now, go jump on our YouTube channel and go watch it because you're going to pick up way more uh, by watching the video of this episode than you will from listening to it. It's not to say you won't get anything from listening, but it is to say you're going to get a lot more from um, from watching what you can see on our YouTube channel. I also want to couch this by saying uh, this is how big of a property? So this one's going to be 40 acres, and that's, okay. I would say, a, a typical size for the, the clients that I have here in Michigan. And, you know, 40, 100, 20, I've, I've had some as low as 10. So, I mean, it's a, that's a f fairly standard size for a parcel here in Michigan. Right, right. So if you're listening and you've got a 40-acre parcel or if you're watching and you've got a 40-acre parcel, please don't think that you can take this plan and just copy and paste it onto your 40-acre parcel and expect it to work uh, as well as it does on, on this specific property. Every property is unique. Every property has its own strengths, its own weaknesses. Every deer neighborhood has its own strengths and weaknesses that we are working with. So um, there is a lot you can pick up and apply and learn.
but I don't want anybody to think like, hey, all I got to do is like screenshot this and it's going to be perfect for my property because chances are your property and this one are going to differ pretty significantly, even if they look similar from the air. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense, to, obviously, to me. And uh, w- w- same with this one here. Like, I'll, I guess I can go right to the computer here and kind of zoom out a little bit so we can see the neighborhood. And what I'm going to do first is just apply the property line so we can kind of see the property that we're working with here. This is our client's property here in Michigan, 40 acres. And like like Josh said, every property is going to be a little bit different with how it's laid out. And this property right away, just kind of want to show you guys some of the key features that we're dealing with, uh, the things that we cannot control that we are going to work around. And that's where the the dwelling is here in in the center uh, on on the east side of the property. And he has this long driveway coming down to the house. And this particular family has livestock. I think they had like a a donkey. Uh, I think they had some sheep, a cow, uh, a lot of chickens. And so those are all fenced in on the north side of the house here. And then uh, they have a one acre garden on the south side of the house. So I think in total, this area here is around eight acres. So when you think about it, this is a 40 acre parcel, but eight acres are gonna be non deer area. This is, this is not for deer hunting, this is for family use. Uh, and so that is something that we have to take into consideration when we are designing the parcel. So like yeah, every part property is gonna be different. Uh, if, if the property, if the house was located next to the road, this design would likely look different, but it's not. So this is uh, a property where we have a dwelling kind of towards the middle on the east side in, in a very large family area. Almost 25% of the property is uh, is family use. Well, I'm excited to see the rest of the plan. I, I'm curious to see your approach to a property like this with a dwelling right in the middle um, to see, are we going to try to pull the deer away from that? Or are we going to try to maximize that and kind of get them on the fringe and so set us up for some really uh, low-impact hunting maybe just off the yard? So uh, I'll just let you take it away from here. It looks like you're in a relatively wet area. Is that correct? Yeah, so there are going to be areas that – so off here to the west, I think that's what you're looking at here. That's uh, fairly wet, and that's one of the things I I do – right away is I'm going to kind of zoom out and and look at this property and look at the neighborhood in general to see what it is we're working with here. Is this going to be a a area with a lot of cover, a heavy cover scenario, or is we going to have a a lot of food in the area with a lot of agriculture fields? And this is going to tell us, you know, how much food do we need to provide on the property? Like if if you have a a property with a lot of ag in 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 the area, and, and you put food plots in, there's definitely going to be a draw uh, for those deer, but it's it's uh, it's not going to, uh, you don't have to put as much food in on, on a property in an ag region that you would, let's say, in a heavy cover area. If you're in a heavy cover area and, and you put in uh, maybe 2% of the property in food, you know, that, that, those, that 2% is going to get hammered by the local deer herd. But you put 2% of food in, in a heavy ag area, you know, that might withstand the pressure, the browsing pressure throughout the entire season, depending on the the deer density uh, in that area. But so that's something that I look at right away, kind of what am I dealing with uh, as as far as like food and cover. And I also look for these these long travel corridors, like how are the deer moving through the area and how does my client's parcel fit within that movement? And so I can see right away here that I have a, a pretty good travel corridor through here as these deer want to move east to west. 
I've got another one, uh, another cor- corner here that the deer can kind of cut through. Uh, and then also if the deer ever wanted to go north to south, you know, if they want to cross the road here, this is one of the areas that they're, they're going to do it. This is open field here. This is open field over here. So if they're going to cross the road, they're most likely going to do it somewhere over here and use my client's parcel, which is which is good. And we want to try to leverage that within the plan because if, if a deer wants to go north to south, there's a good chance that they're going to be using this parcel. But as, as far as uh, water on the property, I do highlight that here just to kind of show where is the, the, the wettest part of the property. Like we could not walk through these areas on the visit and it was a really wet time. We could walk everywhere else though. Everywhere else was dry enough to where we could walk and it was, your, your feet would uh, sink in a little bit, but it wasn't to the point where, you know, we were getting wet. But in these areas here, we could not walk. But so this is kind of how we're, we're uh, how I'm, I'm starting most plans in most properties is by figuring out, you know, what, how do the deer want to move through the neighborhood? But so what I'll do now is I'm going to um, turn on the, uh, let's see, I'll turn it off quick and I'll turn it right back on to hit everything. And so it's very busy, very busy. This is a 40 acre parcel. So there's a lot going on here. Let me just tip it down just a little bit and then we can kind of dive into what exactly we have going on here. So we want to try to try to pull these deer, we're trying to tr- create a pattern on every property. We're trying to create a bed to feed pattern on every single property. And our client here, he had several areas that worked out uh, good, good for food right away. And, and so we can, we kind of can establish where this food can be. And we have a, a larger food source down here in the Southeast corner. And he also had an area that he wanted to plant food here in, in kind of the center of his property. He, he, he uh, has these giant tower blinds that he already had established. So we, so we kind of built a few setups around these giant towers, very similar to the one that you took a picture of down in Georgia. Recently. Oh, yeah. Like on those big, big telephone poles yeah. and just a giant house on top of those telephone poles. So he has several of those built throughout his property. And so we kind of try to design the food plots around those so he can take his daughter and, and you know other kids in the future you know, when they're old enough to hunt. Right. That and makes so, sense. Uh, so what we're trying to do here is we're trying to create yeah, yeah bedding opportunity in certain areas and pull those uh, deer to food plots while also having non-invasive hunting opportunities. So as you can see here, the the red dots are hunting are uh, are bow stands. This guy's a big bow hunter. Uh, he uses a saddle as well. He hunts with his father-in-law. His father-in-law sits from I think ladders, fixed position stands, and then these these uh, squares are his towers that he is, has built, and as you can see from most of these hunting setups, especially around the house here, you nailed it. We're going to try to come out from the backyard and hunt these stands and blow our wind back to the non-deer area, back to the yard. Now, does that mean that there's never going to be deer in here? Yeah, there's going to be deer back there from time to time, but we're not going to encourage that movement. The deer aren't going to be there a lot of times during the day, especially with the dog, the, the livestock, the, the kids running around. You know, they're going to be in these areas here that we've improved for, for whitetail habitat. And so he can sit along the fringe of this movement and blow scent back to the property for that west-northwest wind and, and really have – pretty clean access and you can hunt these stands over and over again. We also have setups uh, kind of coming in from the road here. He only has to go maybe a hundred yards from the road and they can hunt different corners. Uh, again, it's a little bit riskier on, on this side, but this is, these are more for if you have like an east wind, you can kind of blow your scent out into the neighbor's field here as these deer are running through the woods. And 
Yeah, we, I think we have a couple more east wind setups over here. We did not throw anything along this border here uh, for the reason it's it's too it's too risky. If we had uh, setups along the side here and we're blowing our scent into this woodlot here, we would likely be educating a lot of the deer that the, our client is going to be hunting. And so we opted to not do that. We do have one right here that's this is a very high risk stand. Uh, every time we deliver a, a report, we create video narratives very similar to what we're doing right now. Uh, we kind of go over the plan uh, with the landowner and, and just talk through it like we're doing. And this is one that I, I emphasized in that uh, video is this, this is a super high risk stand that hunt it you know, a couple times a year during that sweet time. If you got a buck pattern and he's hitting that, if you have a cell camera here and he's hitting that scrape, man, go in and get them, but don't hunt it over and over again because you could really mess your property up if you hunt this one too many times. Right. But it looks like one of those spots where it's like, I'd really rather not put this here, but it has to be like, yeah, you, yeah, but, you can't I try to do that put on, on every property there. is put a couple in there where it's like, it's, it, this is high risk. Like right. it, it, I've got those on my property. I've got stands. It's like I, some of, I, 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 I might not have hunted that stand in three years, but you know what? This is the year I'm going in, I'm going right. to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to get them. And so you want to have those setups, but you don't want to hunt them very often. As long as they know that then, and they don't blow it out, then it'll, it'll be okay. Right. Right. I love this very, very long line of movement that you've got running uh, north to south on this property. A lot of yep. clients who have a, a, uh, let's say a little bit different shape, you know, to a property, a long skinny property, uh, much like this one, right? It was probably an 80 that was cut in half at some point in the past, right? Um, yep. So it probably looked a little bit more rectangular until it was split right down the middle. Both siblings got road frontage, I'm sure, is how it kind of how it kind of broke down whenever the property changed hands, I bet. Um, but something like this takes what could be a weakness of the property, namely it's long and skinny, uh, and turns it into a very, very real strength. All of a sudden, you've got a buck walking along this very, very long path north to south or south to north, lots of bedding for him to check, lots of mock scrapes for him to hit, lots of opportunities to eat up his daytime hours, which is oftentimes what we're trying to do uh, with a plan. Whether we harvest him that day or not, we'd love him to spend a lot of time on our property. Yep. And you nailed it. it. And it works a lot with what these deer in the neighborhood want to do naturally. Uh, they, they want to move north to south through this parcel. Like if they want to go from the south side and they want to go across the road or to the north part of this parcel, they really, there's, there's opportunities to go other ways, but uh, uh, the strongest way or the most attractive way going forward is going to be this parcel. And same thing if they want to go north to south, they're going to travel through my client's parcel you know, right down the middle using these travel corridors. And like you said, not only does this buck have to spend a lot of time going through here, but now we have multiple stand opportunities in different spots to help us spread the pressure throughout the property. Like it's not just one spot that we have to, to get an opportunity at this buck. You know, we could, we could get him from, from two, we could try him from three. Okay. Okay. Maybe we want to switch things up a little bit. We have more of a North one. Let's go, let's go here from, go after him from seven. And as he's working his way through checking these doe bedding areas, okay, Northwest wind, he's, he's coming along the, the downwind side of this bedding area here. We got him. 
you know? Right. So it, there, there's, a, there's a lot of opportunity here, depending on the wind direction, depending on the time of year, time of day. Yeah. This, uh, what, what's cool about our, the property plans here is we, we set something up for every time of the season, every time of day, you know, every, every wind direction, you're going to have a stand to sit. Right. And, and this is with, with two people. So he's hunting it with two people. And every time you add a hunter, it does get more challenging, but, but like with, with two people, you can comfortably hunt this parcel, uh, for, for most wind directions for multiple times, uh, in the day. Right. Yeah. You have quite a few stand locations on this pro this parcel. How many did you end up with? So I think I label I label them. Eighteen is the back porch. So sometimes, depending on uh, the, the property, I'll, I'll throw the back porch as a blind a blind location. The reason I did that one is because he has this wild apple tree right down next to the pond. And every once in a while, he'll get bucks that'll come so yellow here as corn. And so he 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 really likes to plant corn. And so I told him, okay, well this one we can we can plant corn here and plant corn down here and the uh it's a little thicker along the outsides here and every once in a while he'll have deer come and eat, and eat around his apple tree and so he uh he this is he that's where he target shoots too so he can he can hit a bullseye here uh from his from his back porch so we just said you know what we'll just put number 18 as your uh your, your final stand but i i like to have a lot of different stand setups and this is kind of some people might think it's crazy and you don't have to put all the stands in if you don't want to but like these stands here like eight and seven those are 60 yards apart. So that's fairly close, but like eight and, and uh, six or eight and five, like those are that, you know, that, that's, I don't know, 120 yards apart. And it looks like about the same distance, but like they're different movements. They really are. So like if you have a buck that's coming in and he, he let's say he's coming off the neighbors, he's, he's, he's running up this little hedgerow here and he gets to this swamp and he, he hits this trail and he, he comes in you know, you're safe here with it, with a Northwest, he's going to hit this water hole. But if he takes a left and goes up, seven doesn't get them. Right. Right. So th there's, there's, there's different stand locations and each one of them has a purpose. And like maybe this like seven would, I would hunt that one more in the afternoon as these bucks are, are maybe going to hit this small food plot before coming out to this larger food plot out here. Right. And, and, and eight might be more my morning stand where I'm more in the cover, a little bit more secure. I got my water hole, my mock scrape, and they're, they're both very similar wind stands, but maybe different time of day stands. And uh, a lot of times too, like a buck might, he, he could loop around like in the morning, he'll loop around checking does. So he could, he could loop around and hit that food pot too. So you might get them from both, but it, it also helps you spread the pressure around a little bit. Even just like your small set cone around, around these stands that they, they will shift their patterns a little bit and they might avoid an air, one area if you overhunt it, uh, depending on your scent control. And, and if you are paying attention to the wind. And so, so that's where having, I like having multiple stand stand setups, even, even though they're only 60 yards apart. Right. No, and these I, are like really close together, but one's a tower and one's a, one's a more of a, a bow setup. He loves to bow hunt. So this is, would be one to, to take the kids out to keep them warm. And this one, maybe to have a, you know, more of a, a bow shot. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I always err on the side of too many stands, not too many, but a lot more than, uh, I would just, I don't know, man. I, I never want to come across that situation where it's like, boy, I really wish I'd have had a stand 80 yards that way. You know what I mean? Especially yep. if it's on a, a 40 acre parcel, like, you know, 18 stands sounds like a lot in the big scheme of things. It's not that many once they're set up in there. I mean, a bulk of the work is done. So, right. Yep. And this guy, I think he, he hunts out of a saddle every once in a while. So really all he has to do is prep the tree. Oh, and, very so nice. That, that makes it, 
that makes it that much easier. Now, if his, his uh, father-in-law wants to hunt, then I think he, he hunts out of the, a, a fixed uh, position ladder, but yeah, like ha- having, having 17 stands, really 17 stands, that's it's, it seems like a, like he said, it seems like a lot right away, but you don't have to put them all in right away. And that's what I, I talk about within our report and, and these videos, you know, these are the stands that are priorities. These are the ones that have to go on right away. And, and you might say, these are like eight stands, eight stands have to go on right away and then put maybe six in the next year or, or four and then four the next year. And then over time, you know, work on, work on adding more. Same thing with improvements. Like there, we, we put together for every client, a priority list of different improvements that, that they need to get Get done this season to have the biggest impact on the property and you know it's so like how many bedding areas does this place have one two three four five six seven eight eight different timber bedding cuts along with some conifer cuts so i mean th- there's over 10 to 12 different bedding cuts on this property alone there's no way anyone's going to get that done in a single season even even a couple seasons right so I mean, I mean you have to it's a lot of work. And so you have to kind of spread this out over time and, and just know that each year, just chip away at it. Just keep, keep continuing to grind it at the property improvements, keep making the property better and, and just follow that list of recommendations on the priority, priority list on, on which ones to uh, tackle first. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your, um, the, the travel that you have established through here. Was there a sure. strong line of movement that you were, that you were taking and, and strengthening further, or was it more scattered through here and you're trying to begin to bottleneck that down now? Because when I look at this property, I'm thinking, ah, that look, this looks like one, they could have been walking anywhere in this 150 yard wide strip. Yep. So there was, it's a combination of both. So the, oh, there okay. are like, especially like in uh, like this area here with this, oh, like with the neighbor's property, there's probably going to, there's trails that kind of come in and out, but there was a decent trail that we saw, uh, kind of coming down this way a little bit. Now it didn't follow exactly how, how we have it in here, but it, but it, it, it was a good travel or drop, good travel quarter north to south. And as you can see, it's a little bit wetter. You can see that dark, darker color. That's the water, um, or just wet. And that's why I picked this, uh, image cause you can, the leaves are off the trees. But there was a stronger movement through there because it was thicker. And so what we're, what we're doing is we're taking basically like a forestry mulcher and we're grinding this up and we're creating a, a really clear path through that just to, to, to tr- encourage those deer right down here. And it's, it's a perfect distance from the property line to where, you know, if this is more open hardwoods over here too. So as we thicken this up, you know, they're going to, they're going to select this travel corridor over this. Now they're still going to be over here, but they're going to select this one over that because this is more open. This is thick. And this is going to be a nice, easy place to travel within cover. And it's really close to these bedding cuts, which create basically a hard edge because these orange areas, which are timber cuts, that's almost like a 80% to 100% cut. And, and so that's going to create a hard edge right on the outside of it. And so that a lot of times you're going to have, like after, after you cut these uh, bedding pockets, a lot of times you're going to have a deer trail that pops up right on the, on the side of it right. just because it's a hard edge. And so that's what you can, you can use that with, like, like with these, with these uh, white blockades, you can create a pinch point with that. You can do the same thing with bedding cuts. Right. And so you, you can, you can, that's why. So these right here, I don't think that there was a travel corridor here. 
But because we have these betting cuts where they are, we know that there's going to be one in the future, especially if we create it. If we have a betting cut here, a betting cut here, and then we go and blaze a trail that connects to this food plot trail from, from this scrape, and we have a kind of a scrape on the other side of it. So we, we are going to basically be conditioning these deer to take this path. Like if they want to get from here to here, the easiest way to do that is through the trail that we made for them. Right, right. So you you touched on a topic that I was literally discussing with a client three days ago. Okay. Um, very, very large property. Pretty, uh, pretty wild property. Um, mm-hmm. The... The spots that are thick are extremely, extremely thick now with, you know, woody species, woody undesirable species, right? So we got a, we got a lot oh, okay. of, we got a lot of resetting to do on, uh, in some locations, but we've got a lot of travel corridors that we want to cut in as well. And, you know, a, a lot of times we'll <laughs> cut those in by hand and there'll be smaller trails that we're, that we're putting in for deer. And he said, he, he brought up the topic of a mulcher asking, you know, does that make too wide of a trail? I've got a mulcher that goes on the front of my skid steer. What's that going to look like? So you guys are going to use a forestry mulcher for this. What's that process going to look like to get that set up uh, and then maybe maintaining it moving forward? So I think it, it's either uh, he has a lot of equipment his, himself. So I don't, I don't know if it's exactly like a forestry mulcher or if it's just a, a brush hog that he's going to throw on the back of his ATV or the tractor. It's it's somewhere along in, in, in that range. But basically, we are going to blaze a trail through here. So it's going to probably be wider than like your walk behind uh, brush hog. Right. But it's going to be a little smaller than probably the forestry mulcher. So it's going to be somewhere in be- between there. And the, the first step is just to... Uh, go and cut any large tree that's in the way out of there. So any rocks that are in the way, try to get those out of there. Uh, any large tree goes out just so you can drive through. And then the first step is just to drive through and cl- clear trail. And then you're going to probably have, uh, depending on the area, you're also going to need to drop a few trees next to the trail. Mm-hmm. And you're going to drop those perpendicular to the line of movement that you're trying to encourage. And what that's going to do is it's going to do a few things. One, it's going to, discourage deer from exiting your trail because if they're trying to walk down this path you've made and they, they try to get off it well now they just ran into a tree because it's lying perpendicular to your trail and then now you don't do it to every single tree you might drop a couple one way go five to ten yards drop a couple the other way five and ten, five to ten yards drop some more the other way and so it's not every tree because you don't want to make this thing too tight excuse me where they're not able to get off the trail but you do want to make sure that they're able to stay or that, that they having, they're encouraged to stay on the trail by discouraging them from leaving. And then the second thing that that does is it allows sunlight to get onto the trail because right. you want this area to be thick. And this area here is already pretty thick. It's a, one of those kind of, a, it's a lower area. Yeah. You know, a lot of those uh, upland trees aren't growing there. So, so it's uh it's just a, have a, a swampier area more of the the shrubs the swamp shrubs are in there and so it's a thicker area but there still are some soft maples in there that we want to cut down you know perpendicular to the trail to to let more sunlight in and also encourage deer to stay on our path so i would say that would that would be the process and then maintaining it going forward you know these travel corridors 
it's okay to let them get thick. As long as these deer can get up and down that travel corridor, it's okay to have some brush, you know, encroaching on your trail. Cause these deer, they love to go up and down the trail and smell each one of those branches. And if you're not on them, man, that's, that's re-encouraging. That's, that's reinforcing that that's safe. Every time that they go there and they don't smell you, that's telling them it's safe. Now that that's kind of, kind of like access like up here on like towards the stand 11 and up here like stand 12 we're going to have a, a trail cut along the property line along this barricade now w when you cut a trail like that deer do take it from time to time you just made this beautiful trail through the woods it's nice and easy deer will take your access however the difference between the access trail and the travel corridor is human scent. And so they're going right. to, there's never going to be human scent in here. That's going to make a huge difference with how comfortable they are using these things during daylight. And, but there will be human scent every, every once in a while here, depending on your scent control. And you know, they're, they're hopefully not going to use it very often, but they will use it. And so we just want to make sure that we're never walking in here, touching all that brush that's encroaching on the trail because then that would uh, discourage the deer use. But yeah, as far as maintaining it, just make sure that you're walking these trails uh, before the season starts, clearing any logs that are, or trees that have fallen into them. And if, if there's ever any brush that's uh, overlapping the, the trail, like extending all the way to one side or the other, I, I do cut that back, but I, I do think it's okay to have brush coming into it a little bit. Right. Now, if you have a food plot trail, which we have here, then I, I am a little bit more picky with what's coming into my trail because I want maximum sunlight. And I, I want to have those, I want to let those deer go up and down that trail freely. Not, not that they can't move up and down the travel corridor freely, but I want them to be able to have maximum food plot tonnage in this, in this little space as, as much as possible. So I, I do treat these a little bit different. I, I do cut the brush back to the side a little bit on, on these food plot trails. Right. And, and sunlight can often be a limiting factor when we're trying to do some of those trail plots. Like it, it can be a downright challenge if you've not positioned them correctly and if you've not daylighted the plot appropriately on right. on either side. Um, yep. So one of the things that I was talking about with with this other client was he was he was concerned number one with the with the amount of work that we'll have to go into clearing some of these travel routes and then the size you know the width of using this forestry mulcher that he has he's like man I I don't know like that makes me you know I'm not so sure and I was like man go in there, do it with the mulcher this year so that you get the work completed and then just stay out. Like the deer will start to pick it up. You know, we're going to be right. thickening the area up. We're going to be, uh, you know, on, on either side of it, we're going to be laying some trees down, letting sunlight get in there. This area is extremely thick already. So we're giving them the best option of travel to use the most, you know, uh, the, the path of least resistance by a long shot and then they'll take care of the rest of that. It'll start to grow in from the sides. It will narrow up a bit. If for some reason you're not getting the use out of it that you want and you're like, ah, oh, it's a little too cluttered, then you can go in and clear it by hand. But don't be afraid to go in there and mow that stuff down to get the work done because they're going to start using it. Like they're, they will take it over. Right. And I would say the same thing. Yeah, The first time, just clear it, get the work done, open it up. And over time, it's gonna, it's going to thicken up, and, and you will have to do maintenance year by year, whether it's clearing a tree or, or um, 
if it gets too thick in there, then yeah, you're, you're probably going to have to, to, to go in there and recut it. Now, maybe don't recut it with the forestry mulcher. Maybe try to find something a little smaller exactly. for the, for the maintenance, maybe a walk behind uh, brush hog or maybe a, uh, uh, a mower that you can pull behind your ATV. That seems to be like a, a, a pretty good width for the, for what we're trying to do here. But yeah, initially, go in there with the forestry mulcher and clear it out. And then what you're going to have too, is you're going to have a lot of those trees that are growing on the side. They're going to extend their branches into that. Think about all the scrapes you're going to have up and down there you oh, know, yeah. for, for a little while. Yep. And that's going to be a, a pretty good scraping corridor. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so let, let's maybe talk about the food plots just a little bit on this piece. I, sure. I really yep. like what you've got going on. I think this is unique. I think another thing that, Maybe a question in guys' minds. Maybe we'll cover it on this episode. Maybe we'll cover it in another one. Uh, I notice your food plots are on one side. So let's talk about it. Yeah, so th- there's a couple things that we look for with food plots. Uh, one is you know, how, ma- how many uh, acres do we need to set aside for food? And it's going to vary from property to property. And like I said, in, in my initial scout of the property, I really like to figure out, you know, what are we looking at for food plots here? What's a, what's a pretty good spot for food? Cause that's going to set the foundation of where these deer want to go in the afternoon. That's going to pull these deer from point A to point B. And so food is extremely important. And in this area here, because it's in a mixed ag setting and we're really only dealing with 32 acres of deer area on this property, we didn't need too much food, but I think total uh, we have, if I did my math right, you know, we, we've got about, uh, a little over two acres, two and a half acres of total food. And it, it, it might be like an acre of fall, fall, uh, green food, like, like your brassicas, your, your grains, your, your, uh, uh, clovers, you know, things like that. And then we have, my client loves corn. And so we, we, uh, we incorporated some corn there as well. I think we have just over an acre's worth of corn as, as well. So still food, but the nice thing about corn is we can use it as cover and we can use it to steer deer uh, as well to push them closer to stand locations as you kind of can kind of see down here. But yeah, so when we have, we, we also, like I said, we, we're using food to pull deer from point A to point B. And what we're doing here is we're, we're, we have the, the, the cover here to the west and we had an open area here to the, the east, and so that was really made the most sense on to, to put the food plot down in, in the southeast corner. And so then that kind of created a movement. We were going to pull deer kind of from this west area here to the east, or even like from uh, these bedding pockets here uh, up to this smaller food source here. Now, I don't think that this smaller one's going to hold deer, but they're most likely going to travel from food plot to food plot. Uh, to, to these to these larger food plots in the evening and these even these are not that large so they are probably going to stage in these plots and then make their way down to the neighbors fields in the evening that's what i assume is going to happen here now there's other guys that might say that you put your food plots on this side so they're kind of on the way to the the neighbors the neighbors field but that would be a lot more work uh just because th- these are not open you have to cut all the trees down. It's a lot, lot wet. It's, there's too much moisture over here. I don't think you could really put a food plot there. So it has to be a spot that makes sense to be to, for a food plot as far as planting goes too. And and where we have the food plots right now uh, in this southeast corner, as well as we have a, a small, small 
uh, pass-through plot up here in the north, uh, which is not going to hold deer whatsoever. This is more just to get them to stop, a, a quick bite to eat, uh, a very easy stand location to hunt after work as these deer are coming across the road. Uh, and that's not going to hold deer. So we're really pulling the deer down here to the south east corner and what's nice about this is this neighbor down here uh they don't really push too far down into that part of the property so if we are pulling deer closer to the neighbor down here you know that they're they're likely safe they're not going to get shot by the neighbor uh, i think there there was some hunting pressure up in this area here so we we're, a lot of times if you can you want to try to pull the deer away from neighbors away from hunting pressure like you said earlier in the video to try to just keep these deer alive as much as possible and it's that's a big thing here in michigan because if they leave the yeah. property there's a good chance they're going to get shot right right and it it's funny you mentioned that I, I i have a client that we were talking through uh he's kind of in year two of implementation right he's shot his buck for the year he's excited to get started on habitat work and he's like you know i was wondering like I was at, I was at my property the other day, um, you know, and I heard a gunshot from this direction. I'm pretty sure it was the neighbor to the North, you know, right here near this food plot that, that we put in. And I'm kind of wondering like, why do we put a food plot in that close to the property line? Like I'm worried that that's pulling deer to the property line. And I was like, we're as much pulling deer away from the property line right there and, and off of his property because the neighbor's got a stand, you know, 70 yards across the property line right there. It's like, we are, we're, we're trying to bend the movement because the deer were already moving up and down this property line right there. I was like, we're trying to bend the movement right. down the hill to the food plot and then let them go back up this other ridge rather than back onto, onto him. So we're, we're trying to keep those deer safe with that food plot right there. Yeah, it even maybe even slow them down. So even if, even right. if they want to get to a, the bait pile or whatever that neighbor's got on exactly. the other side of the fence, like slow them down. Like put something on your side of the fence to to give them a reason to stop, just just for two minutes. Because that that two minutes could save that deer's life. Yeah, and and that's where, like you said earlier, all these uh, different improvements, whether it's bedding areas, mock scrapes, water holes, you know, all all of that is going to take time it's going to take time for that buck to get through here and and that's just that could be the difference between getting that two-year-old to three years old or three years old to four years old and if, if it was just wide open hardwoods like the neighbor's property here you know that deer is just going to walk through you know he's going to cut the corner here that would be a good stand location there you know you'll, you'll just make it lucky from time to time that deer is going to walk up and he'll be through that property in, in five minutes right but like this property here it's going to take him a long time to get from one side to the other with all the stuff that he has to check. And he can't see very far once it's implemented. You know, once all this stuff is implemented, he's not going to be able to see very far. He's going to have to check everything and it's unpressured. Like if you look at the area of, of the property that's left unpressured, that's almost the entire minus the, the dwelling. That's a huge section of the, of the deer area. Like right. it does kind of pinch down a little bit here, but as we start pushing down into the, the meat and potatoes, the heart of the property here, that's unpressured property. And, and these deer, it's, it's already, um, it's already, he's, he's already seen the results right away. And that's kind of a, uh, uh, a fun story. Like this, this landowner opening day of the archery season shot a really nice, it looks to be a four and a half year old buck 
uh, out, of, out of a stand location here. And it, that was a, that was a fun phone call to get. Cause we were, oh, he's a very engaged, he's very engaged. He loves doing this stuff. He's always asking questions, calls. He called me a lot during the habitat season uh, with different questions on improvements. And so we were kind of talking about different strategies for the, the, the opener. And he went out there, I think it was the evening of the October 1st and he, he drilled them. He got one the, the very first day. So where did he kill from? What would be your guess? If you had to guess a stand, that would be a good early season stand. So our, my our, our talk, our, what we talked about early season was we didn't have him patterned. We knew there was a nice buck on the property. We didn't have him patterned, but he was hitting, he, he was coming into these food plots uh, at, at, I think it was, I think he had a camera here at night, a cell camera. He had a camera here, but he, it wasn't a cell camera. And so he didn't, he didn't know if it was like, if there was a deer there or not, but I think he had a camera out here was a cell camera. They're hitting this, this field at night after shooting light, but he knew there was a nice buck in the area. And so my advice to him was to sit in an observational stand. And I, I guess I can tell you like which stand, which stands are the observational stands, but and that might give it away. But I mean, that was my advice to sit an observational stand, see if we can see what this, see into the movement a little bit to uh, see if we can pattern this deer, you know, where is he coming from? You know, is there anything we can do to get on this deer in, in the next couple of days or next couple of weeks? Uh, any, any information we can get on this deer, but you know, let's start, let's start slow. Let's start with an observational sit. And so his tower blinds, uh, yeah, six, three, like obviously these are all kind of edge stands, right. but yeah, I told him to do more of an observational sit. Don't push too far into the property yet. Don't be walking to the to the back, you know, just sit more close to the house if you can. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> see, see if you, you can, you can not push in too far. My guess would have been, would have been two. Uh, okay. You're that, very close. Am I? Okay. That, yeah. You're that, very close. So, is that an observational set at two? Cause it looks so, like you could probably see a good bit. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, that's a decent stand because it, he can blow his scent right back to the, it kind of depends on the wind direction, you right. know, and he right. can blow his stand right back to the, to the house. Same with one. He can blow it right back to the house. He ended up shooting him from three. Ah, from three. Okay. So yeah. From three. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. That so awesome. what was funny about that is he had a camera right there and he checked the camera and that deer was there every day, but it wasn't <laughs> a cell camera. <laughs> so it was like going to be a no, if he had a cell camera there, it was a no brainer conversation. Like he wouldn't even had to like call or anything like that. Like, but it's, it was, um, I love yeah, it. That, that was, it was a fun, a fun story. The, the dude can shoot, man. He, he, uh, he, I can't remember what he said, but he, he, he took a shot that's a lot further than what that I would have taken, but he, he, um, I think he can, he shoots at like 60 yards and hits like a, a tennis ball at 60 every time. It's like, holy smokes, man. But, uh, um, oh, man, he's one of those. Yeah. So he, yep. So he, he, uh, but he, he, he drilled that deer, uh, from, from number three. And he, what well, the cool thing was, is we knew going in that a lot of deer are in this area here. Cause this guy or this lady, whoever it is, doesn't hunt a whole lot. And so he was trying to find a way to, he wants deer to bet on his property. That was one right. of the biggest challenges. One, he wants to shoot nice deer, but he wants them to be on his property and have opportunities at these deer. Okay. So we need to, if you want deer to bet on your property, we need betting on your property. And we also need to make sure it's unpressured. So we had, before we got there, we had stands here in the middle. And so we got rid of those stands altogether, altogether. We moved them more to the exterior, then put bedding in those areas. And so that deer, I hope I'm getting the story right, but I, I think he came from this area here. He like walked down this trail 
that he oh, made. Interesting, yeah. And then came right out and got shot. Yeah. The diversity in that little is that a like a valley there or something or a ridge top or what is that? So I, I the when you when you tip it down here, it does look like there's hills. It's it's really flat. It's really flat. Okay. So there's a little there's a little bit of roll. There's a little bit of roll here, but not much. Uh, I, I, you know, there's it's for the most part flat. Right. This was a, an opening that um, we want we wanted to do something with, and what well, we didn't really necessarily know what. And what we landed on was a pollinator mix with some diversity in the center. So very similar to like if you had a, a switchgrass field with a diversity pocket. And this is going to be more of a pollinator mix with a kind of uh, shrub plantings in the center. Just because that it's going to encourage deer to, it's a good summer bedding area with that pollinator mix. Good woody browse there, create some edge. But it, we don't necessarily want to put food there because then that might hold deer up there when we could pull them out here to these food plots here and have hunting opportunities. Now you could put a food plot there and, and just never hunt it and just have that be a, a spot just for the deer. But we decided that if we're going to put a food plot in, we want to have hunting opportunities. And so we just decided on that one to have a pollinator mix, but this deer was right. back here somewhere al along this edge. And he came right down that this trail did not exist. So I think that like, he put this one in. And he, uh, the deer followed that trail, went right out to the, the food plot, started eating, and he shot him. I love it. I love yep. it. That's so that, amazing. It's, it's, it's always fun, like, when you, you get that phone call of someone that you, you worked with, and they, and they shoot a – this was a really nice buck. I'll, I'll see, see if it lets me put a picture of it up on the screen. But uh, it was a, a really nice deer, and yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fun phone call to get when, when the plan comes together. And the cool thing is, is, is I would say we're just scratching the surface of the potential. Because this guy is mm. young. He's ambitious. He's, he does a lot of, of the work. You know, I think he's cut a lot back there. So he's done a lot of it. But there's still a lot of work to be done. And I think he's only scratching the surface of, of what, uh, what's possible on this parcel. Right. Right. All right. Anything else as you look at this piece that you're like, Hey, we, we need to dive into this, you know, specific stand location or this specific feature. So there's a couple of, man, you could spend hours on just one plan. And that's what we do with those video narratives is we really spend a lot of time explaining everything. Right. So I'm going to touch on two things before we, I guess, kick it off here is in one is going to be these barricades here. So a lot of times when you have deer that want to travel north to south or anywhere east to west, and they, they got this, this is a natural uh, funnel because we have open ground here, the pasture here, and there's a fence in the pasture, so they don't really want to go in there. These deer, a lot of times, they're going to go through there anyways, but they're going to want to cut through the middle. Right. They want to be as far away from both sides as possible. A lot of times they're going to they're cut that corner, and they're going to get to that middle. So one thing that we're doing to push these deer to the outsides is we're creating a barricade. We're, we're pushing these deer out to these different stand locations. And then we're kind of uh, creating these social areas along the outside to, to, to kind of reward these deer and condition them to take the outside path. So this is going to be an impassable uh, wall that they can't get around. And this is going to be a nice, easy, thick trail for them to get through. And same thing with this bedding cut here. That's going to act as a little bit of a barricade too. But it's this is wet here, as you can see. This is drier, so we selected this area for the bedding area. And they're going to be able to get in and out of here, but they're still going to scoot the edges of it because it'll be easier to get around. So that's one thing I wanted to kind of highlight is just that uh, blockade, similar to how Greg kind of did that in his last uh, plan we shared. And then the other thing is just the screening. So uh, with this house right here, deer do not want to be by people. 
and you have to separate yourself from the deer as much as possible. So this guy had bought hundreds of, of, uh, uh, pines and spruce trees that he wanted to know where to plant. And so what we're doing is we are just lining the outside edge of his fence, his cattle pasture fence with these pines and spruces just to add additional screening. So there is a clear separation between where the uh, human pressure is and where the, the deer activity is. And so he really, the deer aren't going to see him, and that's going to make them feel that much more comfortable. Right. I would compare it to like if you have a cornfield and it's still up, there's a lot more deer movement in that woods right on the inside of that cornfield compared to when that corn gets cut, Correct. right? When that corn gets cut, like th- that pushes those deer further into the timber because they don't feel as safe anymore. They don't really have that cover barrier. And uh, another thing that's very important too is, is this uh, screen along the east edge. If he didn't have a screen here along the east edge, there's no way he can consistently get to and from these stand locations in the back part of his property without bumping deer. And so that's a, that's a huge uh, improvement that needs to be done right away or, or every single year if he doesn't put something permanent in. So that's something that is a, a top priority is just screening from his house to get through here all the way to the back. Right. Right. And that's, man, that's something for a, for a whole episode devoted to it is screening and what you can use and you know, what you should use there in Michigan versus what I would use here in the deep South. And, um, that's a whole big conversation, but man, the value of screening, I I think it cannot be overblown. And I think, I think it's one of those things that oftentimes you see it get left in the dust. Cause it's like, ah, I'm going to do all the important stuff right? Like I'm going to put in my food plot and I'm going to do the other important things. And then I'm going to leave the screening out. And it's like, no, the screen is what makes what's what makes it work. You know, it's, it's what makes you be able to hunt in November instead of blowing out all your deer in October. Right. And what looks like it's thick in the summer is not the case in November. So now in the off season is when you should be evaluating your areas that need to be screened. Because right now, this is what it looks like when you're hunting these deer during the rut at least up here in Michigan. So like our, the, the leaves are off November 1st, most years. And, and so like if, if you're walking through your woods right now, or you're walking by your food plots and you can see into the areas that the deer are, it, you know, that area needs to be screened off, whether that's you're planting something, you're cutting trees down, whatever it is that needs to be screened off. Right. Man, right. I, there's, a, okay. I'm going to talk about one more thing. Yeah, go I'll for be it. Done. <laughs> so with these food plots here too, like there was a, a couple ways we could have done it. Like some guys would plant this entire field in food plot. That that's how you see a, Like if you just drive down the highway, you'll see a wide open field and a box blind on the side. Like that's how a right. lot of guys hunt here in tree Michigan. to tree, but if tree you to tree ha- planted. Yep. Ex- yep, exactly. If if you want to have daylight deer movement, you need to compartmentalize your food plots and cut down sight lines. Not only are you going to be able to get more deer in your food plot because it's going to separate the deer and reduce social uh, pressure, social stress, stress, but you're going to make those bucks work during the rut. So if a buck comes out here to look for a does in this food plot, well, he can't see this food plot over here. He's got standing corn in the way. So he's going to have to either go through the corn or he's going to take this food plot trail and, and walk to this other, other food plot over here, which is why we put the food plot trail where it is. Because if he wants to take that food plot trail, then it's going to bring them right by this. This is on the property line. You couldn't get any more on the property line than this stand right here. We got a scrape tree right here, uh, 
right in the middle of the food plot and in a, in a water hole. Now, normally I don't put a water hole right in the middle of food plots. Normally I like them kind of back on the cover like this. But in, in this instance here, I was like, you know what? Let's throw a water hole here just to try to encourage these bucks and these deer to get out and you and use this path right here. And this is would be something that's fairly easy for guys to do. It, all you'd have to do is you, you plant the corn first and then you mow it down with your brush mower, it, you know, maybe disc it up a little bit and, and then plant your fall plot, plant your fall trail and your corn right. is standing. And then you have a perfect winding food plot trail, full sunlight. It, it's cover on both sides. Like these deer are going to feel so comfortable moving from this plot to this plot. So this is a, a, another really cool really low impact stand location is, is the deer aren't going to stay here either. They're going to keep moving. So you're not going to get stuck in there. You know, you can just get out when they, when they move by. So that's a, that's another cool, uh, stand location that I, I really like to try to incorporate, uh, into plans when possible. Right. Right. And that's going to differ. I'm sure when it comes to, uh, a food plot designed for a gun hunter, as opposed to a bow hunter, you know, those, those food plots oh, right. are going to look a little bit different. The screening is going to look different. We're going to try to close off sight lines for the deer, but keep them somewhat open for us, you know, kind of thing. Um, I'm curious yep. to hear a couple of ways that you are, are accomplishing that, um, you know, there where you are, maybe some options that guys have for sectioning off and compartmentalizing, shrinking down essentially their food plots and creating more edge, more structure in the plot. What are some of the other things besides corn that you're, that you're using for that? So, so this client, he, he, he loved his corn. I think he even had it purchased before we, uh, even got to the property. So nice. he had all his corn bought for the following season, uh, to be planted before I was even there. So we, we knew we were going to put it in uh, but another thing, like if this is a wide open field and they didn't know what they were going to do with it, one thing that I would do differently maybe is switchgrass, right? So it's not necessarily a food component there with switchgrass, but you could, uh, plant switchgrass along the edges here. So this here along the north side is switchgrass so that because like this would be, this would be too complicated to recreate every season we just decide let's let's shape this out let's let's align it with switchgrass and then we'll just do our cornfield down here we can just plant it in a square and then carve out our food plot trail from plot to plot but on the outside let's do switchgrass uh for our for our screening and uh hide our hunter access but let's say this guy didn't want to plant corn then we could do switchgrass on the interior as well. And, and then what we could do is on the interior within the switchgrass, start putting diversity pockets to start maybe encouraging bedding that much closer to, to these food plots. And, and within the switchgrass, I, I'd like to do a couple different things. I don't, I wouldn't just plant the whole thing switchgrass. So if this was, if this yellow was just, it wouldn't just be yellow switchgrass. It would be switchgrass with like circles similar to this, on the interior with maybe pink pockets or, or uh, brown pockets like this on the mid in the middle for like, uh, whether it's shrubs or, or pollinator blends just to add diversity and add food in there. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's just something that I would do maybe a little bit differently if, if he didn't want to plant corn. So there's, there's different ways about it, but the, the nice thing about that corn right there is it's a food source and it's cover. So like I, you don't have to like carve out bedding areas in the middle of the corn cause they're, they, they're, they're going to be in here and here, but they're also going to bed in the corn too. Right. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For us, for us down here in the South, uh, strip disking is big, especially because a lot of the properties that I step onto, uh, 
folks are very, very serious about their turkeys. Many of them more serious about their turkeys than they are about their deer. And okay. so, so we've actually got, you know, we've got um, nesting and brooding habitat for deer, for turkey and quail are extremely, extremely important for us here. And so, you know, for a lot of what we do for breaking up plots, we're looking at, you know, January into February, we're going to go in and disc those areas. So we get a response mm-hmm. from the native seed bank. And we're going to have, you know, it's not necessarily going to be the quality of screening that you might get from a switchgrass planting, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to make the deer feel more secure. You're not going to get the screening Mm -hmm. value out of it, but the deer are going to feel more secure within the food plot. The turkeys and your quail are going to benefit from that. So uh, just one more option for guys who are maybe in the deep south, uh, which obviously switchgrass works down here as well. Um, And then diversity pockets fill them up with pokeweed and uh, all kinds of little berry bushes, American beauty berry and all kinds of good stuff. So, uh, Jake, mm-hmm. man, this is a beautiful plan. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing how this, uh, landowner progresses over the next couple of years with this property and hopefully lots more buck pictures to come. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm really excited for this family and that's, uh, that's why we do it just to, uh, to, to get, yeah, be on the receive again of that that phone call and, and see the picture of our client behind behind a really nice buck like for us here like a nice michigan buck it's a it's a really cool experience that's awesome great well man thank you so much folks if you listen to this and you have not yet switched over to youtube to go watch the video you really need to go watch it check it out see this beautiful property that jake has designed and we'll catch you next time Thanks for listening to this week's show. If you found this helpful, do us a favor and leave us a review wherever it is that you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram at whitetail underscore partners, on Facebook, Whitetail Partners LLC, on YouTube by simply searching Whitetail Partners, or online at whitetailpartners.com.